0: Following sermon is from Faith Bible Church, located in Murrieta, California. More information about Faith Bible Church is available at www.faith Bible.net. I want to confess that I do take a bit of comfort from Judas. I say, what? Why? Because. Not everyone I train turns out great, just like with Jesus. 90% do, 5-8% to 8% are uncertain. 2% end up like Judas back in Arizona. There were two men who at first appeared to be men who would be very influential, very impactful for the kingdom and in large churches and have incredible impact for Christ. But when the opportunity came for them to turn woke, they did, and now they've joined hands with the Pope and the Catholic Church. Literally thousands, I am not exaggerating, thousands of sound believers have left those two churches heartbroken. Many strong elders of those churches lovingly pleaded, attempted to correct their errant direction. Each one was rebuffed. Dismissed and rejected, thousands of God's sheep left those places to find doctrinally sound churches filled with every race but one body in Christ. And since that time, about two years ago, I have wondered what I would say to those two men if given the opportunity. Besides, are you nuts? Or besides, what's wrong with you? It's not anything that is found in the Scripture, what you're doing. And I share that with you in that maybe you too, this morning, have friends or family members who are moving away from the truth. You can see it. It pains you. And today, the Apostle Paul is actually going to share with us what to say to them. What to say to them. So open your Bibles, if you would, to Galatians chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 8 through 20, but if you look at verse 20 right now that we'll get to next week, like myself, it says Paul was perplexed, perplexed by the Galatians drifting into error, the kind of error that has eternal consequences. There, there's some mistakes you can make that it's just, well, you're still a believer. There are mistakes that you make though that basically say No you deny the deity of Jesus Christ, you're not going to heaven. There are crucial mistakes that you can make. And inspired by the Holy Spirit, and moved to write to these churches in Galatia, God, through the Apostle Paul, teaches us what to say to anyone who's moving away from the Scripture. Now, I'm confident that this morning, many of you know that the gospel is so powerful that it actually undoes social, racial, and economic differences. Amen to that? We follow the New Testament instruction for men and women, but we are also now one in Christ, both men and women. Uh, One in Christ, rich or poor, all of us, one in Christ, white, brown, black, yellow, all one in Christ. Blue collar, white collar, all one in Christ. Uh, slave and free, all one in Christ. Californian and New Yorker, all one in Christ. Republican, and, let's not go too far, okay? So, <laughs> the Gospel transforms us into a new person, but not only just a new person, the Gospel transforms us into a new family. Family. And Paul teaches now in chapter 4 what to say to those who have lost the clarity of that identity, their identity in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone. In fact, Paul makes it very, very clear, and I'm convinced that you need this passage, that I need this passage. Uh, You have a family member or a friend who's come up with their own view of who Jesus is and what salvation is. Uh, You've got a family member or a friend, they've determined to embrace or become a lesbian or a homosexual, and still claim Christ. You have a family member or a friend that they've added social issues to the gospel of grace alone, or you've got a family member or a friend that they've gone woke, they've embraced transgenderism, or they've abandoned their first love of Jesus Christ alone. When you read this entire passage, verses 8 through 20, which is a giant single paragraph, You'll find that there are 11 points that kind of spring from the text, and we're going to look at four of them today and seven of them next week. And understand, to those who are embracing error, this is now Paul's rebuke in verses eight through 11 we'll look at today. And then those embracing error, these are seven key actions in verses 12 to 20, next week where Paul's rebuilding. So read aloud with me what God says in Galatians chapter four verses 8-11 through that we will look at today, found there in your outline. Let's read it out loud. Here we go. Ready? However, at that time, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those which by nature are no gods. But now you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how is it that you turn your back again to the weak and worthless elemental things, to which you desire to be enslaved all over again. You observe days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that perhaps I have labored over you in vain. So how do you talk to somebody who's drifting away from truth? Well, you do what Paul does. And what does Paul do? Point number one in your outline, he reminds them how they are lost without Christ. He reminds them how lost you are without Christ. He wants you to remember that. Listen, some of your friends who are playing around with doctrinal truth or walking away from Christ, you need to remind them what they are. They're blind. They're lost. They're, they're, they're enslaved to their sin. They're not free. He points this all out. Would you agree that the religious person is just as lost as the irreligious person? Anybody? Sure. Sure. Why? Because both of them are trying to be their own Savior and Lord, but in different ways. Look at verse 8. He says, However, at that time when you did not know God, you were what? Slaves. Slaves to those which by nature are no gods. Before Christ, you were not in a relationship with God, no matter how dedicated you were, no matter how sincere you were. You were not in a relationship even though you kept the law or you, you know, worshiped some pagan idol or you were, you know, secular living but clean, etc. The Greek word he says here, when you did not know God, know here is the knowledge of facts. The knowledge of facts. You didn't have a right understanding of, of who he is. You didn't know him personally. You didn't know him intimately and you didn't have a right understanding of who he was, you had your facts wrong. He uses oida there to tell you, he's talking about factual things. You didn't know that. You were a slave to some pagan god, to some self-made idol. Listen, you're either worshipping some idol outside of yourself, or you're worshipping some idol inside yourself. It's either way, idol of the heart, or some sort of false religion. And Paul's pointing this out either way, It could be your own thinking that you're worshiping, your own ideas, your own kind of faith, even if you call it your own kind of Christianity. But Paul says in verse 8, before coming to saving faith in Christ, no unsaved person knows God. They don't know God. Before trusting in Christ with your life by faith, everyone's religion is one of works. Remember, there's only two kinds of faith, really. There's the ones that you're working your way to heaven, and the other one that acknowledges that God did the work on your behalf, and that's Christianity. Every other one is you're trying to work your way there. So no matter how easygoing, how nonchalant, uh, they're trying to work their way to heaven. And he says you were a slave to that man-made process, and man-made gods who were, verse 8, actually, what does he say, no gods at all, right? And all non-Christians are slaves to the human effort of trying to get saved. They're trying to save themselves. So, also to slavery to the idols of the heart. Idols of the heart are places or people or priorities that you love over God. Now, here's the big question this morning, and that is this. Is there anything or anyone you love more than Christ? Because that's what you worship. That's what you worship. Could be your own ideas. Could be your own concepts. And, And it actually is within, and also it's without. Uh, you look at organized religion, false religion. How are you, have you traveled at all? If you've traveled, have you seen how those without Christ worship? When they stand in front of a Buddha and offer prayers and, and food to a, to a, a Buddha. Um, maybe you've seen them in front of the wailing wall with sincerity, zealously praying, rocking back and forth, stuffing their prayers in the cracks of the wall. Maybe you've seen them kneel down with a carpet facing Mecca six times a day to make their prayers. Maybe you've seen them with their bloodied knees as they work their way up to somehow kiss some sort of icon to earn Mary's favor. It could be any one of those. Doesn't your heart break over their spiritual darkness? Uh, don't you want to shake them and, and, and point them to the real hope they, have in, they could have in Christ? Don't you want to ask them, why are you doing all this? Aren't you tempted? Come on, I've been. I've actually said it in a gracious way. You you, you know that big funny image is only a piece of stone carved by men, right? You know that. There's no God here. Buddha can't help you. Buddha's dead. He's physically, spiritually, and he is separated from God forever. In fact, if you continue to trust Buddha and Muhammad and Mary or the law itself you too will die and remain separated from God forever in judgment. There are many, many false gods that people put their trust in, but only one of them can save you. And while people, these people are miserable because of their uniqueness and their ignorance to the only true God, uh, they are also condemned since they are in rebellion to God. So, God makes this really clear in Romans 1. Take a look at your outline. In Romans chapter 1, it says this, "...that which is known about God is what? Evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power, His divine nature have been clearly seen being understood by that which has been made so that they are what? Without excuse. For even though they knew God... They didn't honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened, for they exchanged the truth of God for a what? A lie, the lie, that you can be your own God, that you can do your own thing, and worshipped and served the creature themselves, mainly, rather than the Creator. Creator. Paul wants the Galatians to remember as they're talking to these who are drifting away from truth that are perplexing him massively. He says, don't ever forget what it was like when you were a non-Christian. Don't ever forget what you have in Christ. And never forget the nicest, kindest non-Christian is still a massive sinful mess. Look at Ephesians chapter 4 verse 17 so this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you no longer walk just as the Gentiles walk. Well, how do the Gentiles walk? Take a look at this. In the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God, because of their ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart, and they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. God says, listen, collegians, singles, students, don't live like your non-Christian friends. Don't walk that way any longer. Don't make what they do what you love. Don't make what they do what you want to imitate or treasure. Why? Ephesians 4 gives us four reasons. Number one, they're futile in mind. Futile meaning intellectually unproductive. Uh, Concerning spiritual and moral issues, they're distorted, empty, and confused. Number two, Look at it. They're alienated from the life of God, separated, ignorant of God's truth. They're blind, they're hard, they're unwilling. Number three, non-Christians have become callous. That's morally insensitive, increasingly apathetic to truth, to God's morality, to genuine spiritual life. Four, all unbelievers are sensual and impure, meaning lewd and unclean. Behaviorally, they're increasingly Losing moral restraint, intensifying in greed for things, and that's all Ephesians 4. Paul's trying to help us as we talk to people. We need to help them to understand what a non Christian is compared to a Christian. Remember that that was you before you came to Christ. And God reminds you in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 of your sad state as a non-Christian. It says, look at it, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they may not see the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ who's in the image of God. The non-Christian You can't see, you can't think, you can't escape, you can't be humble, and you can't totally enslave with no hope of rescuing yourself. Paul asks, verse 8, why, ready, here's the question, why, Galatians, would you want to go back and live that way? That's the point. Why would you want to go back and live like a non-believer? Enslaved, blinded, uh, calloused. Remember what you were saved by grace so you don't start elevating religion by teaching Christians they got to obey social rules or make racial preferences to correct the past. In order to be saved, yes, repent of all prejudice. But salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Amen? That's it. Those who are moving away from truth need to be reminded... That they are lost, they are blind, they are enslaved, and they are without excuse. You don't want to go back to that. That's not attractive. Secondly, you want to point them to the relationship they have with God through Christ. You want to point them to the relationship they have with God through Christ. Look what he says. This morning, I want to ask you, do you know God? You could say it out loud. Do you know God? Not facts about God. Christians experientially, relationally, know God personally. Do you? Do you? A Christian is someone who knows God. Look at verse 9. Take a look at it. He says, but now that you have come to what? Know God. Rather to be known by God. The word know here in verse 9 is different than verse 8. He's making a point. You would see it in the original language. Verse 8, knowledge of facts. Verse 9, knowledge of relationship. It's intimacy. It's relational. Relational knowing. Intimate knowing. There's nothing sweeter, more important, more healthy for you here this morning to personally know Christ in salvation. Can I hear an amen to that? Listen, your worst day, you can stop and you can be immediately into His presence. You know the creator of the universe, and now by faith in relationship. Look at Paul. You know this verse, but let it hit you today. Philippians 3, 7, and 8. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as lost for the sake of Christ. In fact, more than that, I count all things to be lost in the surpassing value of what? Knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, dung, excrement, literally the word, so that I might gain Christ. I ask you again, do you know Christ? Do you know God? There was a time when the Galatians did not know God. They didn't know God at all. Most of them were Gentiles who are unacquainted with the God of the Bible. And Paul's going around to the Galatian region and he's preaching the truth of the gospel. But they were worshiping pagan gods and goddesses. And you could take your pick. Some of them were into astrology. That was very big in the first century. And they follow the signs of the zodiac. Others worship the deities of Greece. We know in Lystra, which is the Galatia region that there was this massive temple to Zeus, so the Greek gods were honored in that area. Uh, many in Galatia belonged to the Roman imperial cult, which means they worshiped the emperor, okay, a living deity. And these deities were mere idols. And because demonic influences are always at work behind false religion, and by the way, every false religion has been created by demons, according to the Scripture, and by, by worshiping these false religions and bowing down to these false gods, it brings them into spiritual bondage because they're demonic. And there was a time when the Galatians were in chains to these false religions. Since they didn't know God, they didn't know any better. And then the Galatians came to know God, through the preaching of the gospel of God's free grace, they became Christians. For a Christian simply is someone who knows God. Not someone who knows about God like it's some sort of philosophy, but someone who has a genuine person-to-person relationship with the living God. And in the Bible, the knowledge of God is always personal. It's an intimate encounter with God the Father through the Spirit of His Son. It's definitely genuine and real And Christianity is not a matter of what we know. It's a matter of who we know. Right? And Paul says clearly in verse 9, Christianity is actually a matter of who knows us. You see it there? Second part of verse 9. You can only get to know God because He already knows you. Personally. And has revealed Himself to you. So Paul makes this clarification verse 9. But now that you have come to know God, rather to be What? Known by God. To know God is to be a child of God, but this depends on an even more fundamental truth that you are, verse 9, known by God. Known by Him. In fact, the freedom of God's grace is that the Lord knew you long before you ever came to know Him. The initiative for membership in God's family comes entirely from God Himself. Picture it this way. You decide you're a man and have a... desire to adopt a baby girl. You go to an orphanage and you visit and you see this baby laying in her crib and you love her so much you adopt her into your family. And she grows up and she calls you father because you're the only father she's ever come to know. But she knows you as her father only because you first knew her as your daughter. Correct? You saw her. And you called her. First John four nineteen. We know this. Treasure it. We love because He what? First loved us. This is the love that God has for all His sons and daughters in Christ. He saw you and He adopted you. He adopted you. Each of you. Anyone who receives such grace... Such undeserved favor could never go back to the orphanage. Why would you go back to the orphanage? But that's exactly what the Galatians were trying to do. And so Paul says, don't do that. You're now not only knowing God, but you're known by Him. Why are you going to go back to that place where you were not in relationship? Remind them of what they are without Christ, and, and point to the intimacy they can have with Christ, should be attractive to them. And that's why you need to warn them to not be drifting from the truth. And again, we're looking at genuine Christians who are confused, who will not go down this road. And we're looking at tares who are close to Christ, but not born again, who are going to drift back into these systems. And that's why, number three, he warns them of turning back to their enslaved lost days. Warns them of turning back to their enslaved lost days. Paul gets a little feisty in his rebuke in verses 9 and 10. So let me read it with its full English meaning. Take a look at it. How is it that you currently and continually are turning back again to the weak and worthless elemental things To which you currently and continually desire to be enslaved all over again? You want to live that way again? Verse 10, you yourselves, you did it, are choosing to observe days and months and seasons and years. Now pick this apart with me. Look at that phrase when it says turn back. Turn back is to return to a previous way of life. No question. He's describing you're going back to the way you were before you met Christ. And when Paul, this is a really dramatic statement. When Paul says weak here, it means you were sick, you got well, and now you want to be sick again. You want to be sick again. When he says worthless, see that weak and worthless? Worthless means you were destitute then you became massively wealthy and an inheritor and rich, and now you want to be impoverished again. You want to go back to that. The Galatians were converting back to practical paganism. Almost like deja vu. They're they're going back to the first principles of paganism. They're referring back to the ABCs of religion. You know, earning your way instead of recognizing that it comes as a gift by grace through faith. Verse 9, when he says, Elemental things... It means although they graduated from school by grace through faith in Christ, now they're re-enrolling in their spiritual kindergarten. And they're trying to earn their way and get their ABCs down and get the laws down. When they've already graduated, look at verse 9 again. Turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again. Paul is asking Do you actually want to return to religious failure? Religious fakery? Religious feel and religious festivals? You want to do that? Apparently, the Galatians were doing this by following the rituals of Old Testament Judaism. Take a look at verse 10. You observe continually days and months and seasons and years. This is the Jewish calendar. The rites That you'd follow as a matter of religious obligation. Like Pharisees, they're observing the whole Jewish system of special holidays, uh, such as Christmas and Easter, called a creaster. No, that's not it. Um, uh, The feast of the new moon, the Passover. Why are you going back to the works when you were saved by grace? Why are you trying to function through the law when you can only be saved through faith? Why would you try to go woke? And add social behaviors to the gospel truth when by doing so grace is destroyed and the body of Christ is divided as a result. Paul asked, verse 10, Why, Galatians? And this is why it's so perplexing to him. Do you desire to be enslaved all over again? You want to go back to that? I mean, now that you're sons and daughters of the king and God's family, He asks these wavering Galatians, why would you want to go back to slavery? Now that you're free adults through faith in Christ, why do you want to revert back to your childhood servitude under the law, where they tell you when to get up, get down, you know, go to sleep, go to bed, what to wear, what to dress, everything. You're going to go back to that? This must have shocked the Judaizers, the false teachers, but as far as Paul's concerned, this kind of religion is no better than raw paganism. If the Galatians wanted to practice these forms of outward religion, the failure of this kind of religion, the fakery, the feel, the festivals, they might as well just go back to reading their horoscopes. And returning to the legalism of law keeping, they were reverting back to the very religion they rejected when they turned to Christ. Following astronomical signs and celebrating the emperor's birthday and observing special days are all external. All of them external. It reduces a relationship to a ritual, to a routine. It makes following Christ a matter of doing one's duty rather than receiving God's grace and enjoying a personal relationship. Would you agree that there's a danger in following a liturgical calendar? Anybody with me on that? The danger is, is most Americans basically have identified Easter and Christmas as, well, we got to go to church. And that's kind of how they define their religiosity. But we're in danger if we begin to form dates and calendars and instead of saying we want to worship the Lord 24-7 every day. There's a danger in that. And the Galatians, they needed to be reminded that there's a danger in following those days that God's grace comes free. And once you know the freedom of grace... You become the true children of God, and you can never go back to spiritual slavery. In fact, those who do should move you to great prayer. In fact, remind them by number four in your outline, sharing with them your fear over them and your love for them. Your fear over them and your love for them. Look at verse 11. Look what he says. I fear for you. What does that mean? You know what it means in the Greek? I fear for you. I'm brought to anxious apprehension over you. I'm afraid that perhaps I have labored over you. I did this in the past, and yet the result was in vain, meaning all a waste. I labored all over you, and it was all a waste. I'm fearful of that. Paul taught the Galatians and said, turn to Christ. Rely on Him and become born again. And Paul thought that they were born again. And now he worries that it all may have been a case of false labor. Paul says, I've labored. And the Greek means to the point of extreme fatigue, almost exhaustion. I labored over you. I fear for your eternal souls that all I did, all of it was driven by love for you. That you would have a right relationship with God through Christ. And now I fear that it's wasted because you've tried to do the impossible. You know what they tried to do? They tried to modify the grace of God. Modify it. The moment you add to grace, it's no longer grace. The moment you do it, whenever you modify or condition grace, it destroys grace. These Judaizers, the false teachers who came in after Paul was done uh, and on his missionary journey, the first one, they would say, just, just show some religious zeal for the law. Come on. Just eat properly. Just, just get circumcised and, and attend all the right religious festivals and events in order to make certain that you're truly saved. Sounded innocent, didn't it? The woke would say, just, just apologize for your cultural insensitivity. Just admit that you've had a racist heart all your life. Just show that you care for the poor. Just intentionally end your privileged status, and then you could be certain you're saved. It's adding to grace. To be saved, the Catholic teaches, just keep the sacraments. To be saved, the Hindu teaches, be devoted, be meditative, be self-controlled. To be saved, the Buddhist teaches, are you ready? This is tough. Try really hard. To be saved, the Mormon teaches, the more good works you do, the higher floor you get in heaven. But to be saved, the Christian teaches, depend on the finished work of Jesus Christ. Since salvation is by grace a gift alone, by faith alone in Christ alone. You need it. I need it. Your sin, my sin is so bad without salvation, we're headed to eternal torment, but you don't earn it, you don't work for it, you don't attend church to get it, but you depend by faith on the person and work of Jesus Christ. Your sin is punished and laid on Christ and dealt with there. He covers you with His righteousness which makes you justified. Never add to the free gift of salvation. Yes, the faith that saves is faith alone. And the faith that saves is never alone. Once you are transformed, once you are born again, You'll serve, you'll give, you'll perform deeds, you'll disciple. But are you ready? Not because you have to, but because you what? Want to. You want to. But it's shocking to Paul that anyone would move away from saving truth and this incredible intimacy they have with God through Christ. And next week, Paul's going to plead with the Galatians To rebuild them. And he's still perplexed, verse 20. And there's so much more to say. And that's what the pastor says when he runs out of notes. There's so much more to say. But there is a lot to say to your friends. There is a lot to say to your family who've abandoned the Word of God. Who've distorted the person of Christ. Who've modified salvation by grace. Say, what is it? Come back next week. But letter A, let's take this home. You can be enslaved even though you're religious. You can be enslaved even though you're religious. Get this. If you treat things that are not gods as though they are, you will become slaves to them spiritually. Let me say it one more time. You, if you treat things that are not gods as if they were gods, you will become a slave to them spiritually. It could be money. It could be your career. It could be your children. It could be computer games. It could be friends. It could be the beach. It could be an amusement park. It doesn't matter. It's whatever you treat as a god will then enslave you spiritually. You have to be free of loving Anything more than Christ? Are you religious today? Even Christianese, but lost? Are you a Christian in profession, but not practice? Would you say that you love Christ, but in reality, there's something that you love more? There's someone that you love more. How about those who know you well, would they genuinely say that Christ is your first love? Would they say that? Or would they say there's some form of idol that you love more? Now can we be honest, just for a moment, all of us battle, correct, and are tempted to drift into idol worship. Would you admit that this morning? You say, Chris, what's yours? Oh, you want to hear, don't you? I'm tempted to love my wife more than Christ. I'm tempted to love my grandsons more than Christ. I'm tempted to love this church more than Christ. I'm tempted to love the ministry more than Christ. But I can tell you this morning, Christ is my first love. He is. Is He your first love? Do you truly know God intimately and personally? And are you known by God in salvation? So important that you answer that question. Letter B. The goal of a Christian is to have their confidence in Christ. Their confidence in Christ. Their focus in Christ. Right? So, you would admit this. Come on, stay with me. When you look at a photograph, the first person you look for and examine is who? You! Come on! You, you know. Oh, Can you delete that one? You know, kind of thing. Yourself. So here's your goal. Here's your war. Here's your fight. Instead of seeing everything in life through the lens of self, work really hard to see everything, everything, every relationship, every event through the lens of Christ. Not, oh, my spouse bugs me, but how can I show them Christ? Not, my friends hurt me, but how can I glorify Christ in this pain? Not, this trial is difficult, but how can I show off Christ in this trial? Confidence, maturity, sweet joy only comes when our ingrown eyeballs turn outward and are fixed on Jesus Christ. Let's pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, We would pray that you would take your word today and that you would change us, mold us, make us into the men and women you want us to be. Come. We know, Father, that all of us are in this war. We we all love to drift away from our first love. We pray that you would restore us in intimacy with you and that we would work at that intimacy, that we would establish it, develop it. Father, if there's anybody here who knows about you, but doesn't know you, would you open up their hearts so they could see that? Would you draw them to yourself so that they might surrender to you and know true abundant life now and eternal life forever right now? And we'll give you all the praise for what you'll do. We thank you, we exalt you, and we honor you as the God who is worthy of all of our worship. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Thanks for listening today. Sermon audio from the last three years is available by podcast, and a larger archive from Chris Mueller and Faith Bible Church can be found at media.faith-bible.net. And if you would, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps a lot. Thanks, and have a great day.